0: This year, based on their ADP, going a little bit too high. We won't call them busts, but just guys that we're not really that excited to draft at their ADP. We'll take someone else at the same position just a little bit later. Welcome to the show. This is your Thursday edition of Fantasy Football Today. I am Adam Azer. I got Heath Cummings here, and Dan Schneier is back. Now, Dan, before we get into the players to avoid, we have to play a game called Guess Heath's Sleepers. Heath is finishing up his second sleepers column i don't know you you're an editor so you see all the stuff so i don't know, have you seen the column yet Yes, not
3: i have not seen the column yet okay it's still in the works i So i think i can participate
2: I, I can give you like positional clues i, I can tell you there are two quarterbacks okay. i used fantasy pros consensus expert rankings um and just wrote this as these are the guys the industry's sleeping on So there are two quarterbacks outside of the consensus top 10. One's actually outside of the top 20. All right. I'm going to guess Joe Burrow. Taysom Hill is one. Joe Burrow is one. Neither Joe Burrow or (laughs) Taysom Hill is correct. (laughs) Ryan Fitzpatrick. No, but you got his first name correct. Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill is currently 11th by the consensus rankings. I have him 7th, which is no there's no expert in the industry that has him higher than 7th. Okay. Despite right. the fact that only 3 only two quarterbacks have scored more fantasy points than he has since he became the starter for Tennessee. <laughs> wow,
0: that's a good stat. Hmm, who's the other one not in the top 20? I'm surprised it's not <laughs> it's not Gardner Minshew, is it? <laughs> close enough it's Trey Lance <laughs> Trey Lance okay All right, let's yeah. do one more position how, how many uh,
2: wide receivers there are three wide receivers and we talked about two of them this week on a podcast
3: Ooh, talked about two of them this week
2: Mike Williams incorrect wow. but we will talk about him more later and yeah. um, he might be out he, he might move into the list he might move into the list T.Y. D.Y. Hilton is correct. Okay. Is it Minshew? Currently wide receiver 52 at the consensus rankings. Gardner Minshew. Is he a wide receiver now?
0: Uh, all right. Let's say one more guess at Heath's wide receiver sleep. Marvin Jones? Yeah, probably. Nah.
2: Incorrect. It's Antonio Brown. Oh, yeah. And Miko Hardman. Okay. Hardman right. is wide receiver 60. I like
3: literally all three of those picks. Yep.
2: Okay. Yeah. that, Actually,
3: that was like all the picks made.
0: Basically, yesterday's show. So tune into that one. Uh, but today it's a little bit more negative. Guys that we think are being drafted a little bit too early, and you know that there are just some players that you like them, but you don't like them as much as everybody else, and you just you don't think you're going to end up with them. So maybe there's some of those on this list. Let's get uh, your your top top player to avoid is really not the best way to put it. But if give me if there's one player that headlines your your avoid list, Heath, who would your one player be?
2: Unfortunately, I think it has to be James Robinson as much like talk about a sleeper, the the very best sleeper of the 2020 uh, fantasy football season. And somehow, even when you look at um, ADP, just since the start of June, like everyone fully aware that Jacksonville has drafted a running back in the first round, James Robinson is still pick 60 in overall ADP, a fifth round pick. And I just can't imagine. Like, It's certainly possible that they're going to play UTN as a slot-wide receiver and as a gadget-type guy, and James Robinson is still going to get 15 carries. I think that's really unlikely. It'd be terrible for LaVisca Chenault if that's what happens. Um, I just, I think there might be 15 carries a game and no targets early in the season, and it will only get worse from there. Okay. So would you take him 70th overall? Oh no, no! Every one of these players, um, except for one, I think. Every one of the players, but one, I was more than twenty picks behind oh. what their ADP is. On Robinson, I'm actually forty picks in PPR behind what his ADP is. I would not take him until round nine.
0: Okay, last question. You can both answer this: James Robinson or James Connor?
3: Connor. I'm Connor. Slight edge, though. I don't. I don't really want either on my team. I,
2: I just I think it's it's way more likely that James Conner turns into the lead running back in Arizona than that James Robinson holds on to that for a full season. Okay,
0: well, I mean, I don't disagree, but just the follow-up follow-up would be like, but he was so good last year, so why not?
2: I mean, James Conner's had some phenomenal years playing football,
0: but not recently because he's been so hurt. Yeah.
2: You know. Um the why not would be because they took a running and back he- in the first round.
3: Yeah. All right. So, uh, Dan Schneider, the, why why not is also, I mean, the, why not would also be, I'm just going to jump in real quick is that this Jacksonville Jaguars offensive line is still terrible. Their defense is beyond bad. It's going to be bottom five again there. That's two years away. And so where is, where are the touches coming from? Unless you're assuming James Robinson will be the third down and the passing down back, which I don't think anyone is assuming, and it doesn't really make sense. It seems like the game script just won't be there for him. All right. Who's the headliner on your list? Okay, the headliner on my list is TJ Hawkinson, currently at an ADP of 65. I cannot understand this one at all whatsoever. So I'm going to give a few stats courtesy of our friends here at FFT. The first one's courtesy of Chris Towers. He said, over the last 15 seasons, among tight ends, TJ Hawkinson's ranks 12 in receiving yards 11th in reception, 16th in yards per route run, 11th in touchdown, 16th in yards per target in their first two seasons. Does that screen break out to you at tight end? Not me. Then the other assumption here is that the volume is just going to be through the roof for Hawkinson. But why are we assuming that? NFL offenses don't typically operate through the tight end as the number one read. The Raiders are one exception to that rule and looking back at some of the stats that Dave provided this was a while back back right after the super bowl when he was breaking down new offensive coordinators and what their impact could be on the new teams they're on and he was breaking down Anthony Lynn according to Dave's uh, research nine 19- Anthony Lynn is did not heavily ta- his offense did not heavily target tight ends. Nineteen point six percent of the targets went to tight ends in twenty twenty, and seventeen. And then in twenty nineteen, it was seventeen point four percent, and as low as thirteen point eight percent of targets to tight ends in twenty eighteen. And receivers tripled the targets there. So I don't think this offense is going to run through Hawkinson at all, just because NFL offenses typically don't. I'm not excited about this offense at all with Jared Goff. He has to build a brand new rapport with the quarterback after building, you know, two years or. Yeah, two years worth with Stafford. To me, this just seems like a total avoid here. I'm, I'm like Heath said with Robinson. I'm not taking Hawkinson for another forty picks. He, to me, he's Ooh. a tenth, eleventh round guy. I don't really see the appeal here.
1: <laughs> well,
0: first of all, Anthony Lynn had Keenan Allen in his offense. And if the Lions had Keenan Allen, I guarantee you people would not be as high on TJ Hawkinson as they are.
3: Um, he was, but how many NFL offenses run through the tight end?
0: Well, the Eagles did when Zach Ertz was their best option. Yes. Travis Kelsey leads the team in targets typically. Um, so when you're Waller tight end,
2: Kittle. what's that? Waller and Kittle too.
0: When you're, like there's like five yeah.
2: Waller for sure.
0: When your best option is a tight end, I think we have seen that NFL teams will run through their tight end. Did Evan Ingram lead the Giants in targets last year? I think he may have.
2: Nah. No, no. I mean, it was the, the, yeah, the, thing, the thing that Dave talks about, and ha- we'll go back to Dave again. I've talked about Anthony Lynn's usage of the running backs. Um, he, consistently, year over year over year, you're looking at 30 plus touches per game for the running backs, which is why the committee doesn't scare me as le- as much when he's a- in charge. It's very rare for teams to have a high percentage of their targets going to running backs and a high percentage of their targets going to tight ends because those are short area targets. I yeah, think Glenn's reliance on the running backs could really negatively impact the tight end targets.
3: But that is golf. I mean,
0: and golf, what about Tyler least...
3: Higby as well? He was billed as the breakout last year. Higby was billed as the breakout but because last they had year Cup Goff, and Woods. And we haven't really seen golf,
0: but they have Cup and Woods. That's the whole point of the argument. I know, by but the way, Mister offenses... Gi- Mister, I host the Giants podcast. Evan Ingram did lead the Giants targets by thirteen last year with 109.
3: <laughs> I knew that might have been wrong when I said it. Okay. I, I was hesitant to say no there. I felt <laughs> it, it felt bad right off the top.
0: Look, Hawkinson was the number five tight end in fantasy last year. He was number seven per game in PPR, and he didn't really have that good of a year, but he had 101 targets. You talked about game script and how it's going to be bad for James Robinson. Well, you think it should be pretty good. I mean, you, you think they would be able to they would be throwing the ball a lot. This defense is also going to be terrible. This team is going to be bad, and people are really just relying on the targets, and targets really make a huge difference for tight ends. I can give you the numbers in a moment, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, I I'll give you the numbers, but the, the volume, I, I think the volume, I think will be there.
3: volume is the key in fantasy. I just don't know that we can guarantee this volume with a new quarterback who has no rapport with him. Who else is and with the fact it? that almost very few NFL offenses run through the tight end, especially new, as Heath mentioned, one that has so many targets going to the back. So who's going
0: to get the targets because the new quarterback has no, no rapport with anyone. It, everyone
3: is new right, to him. But- and, and Agreed. Yeah. Go ahead. I just, I just don't see too many, re- too many plays where the first read is going to be Hawkinson on the play. It just doesn't. That, that works with even when you talk about you know Travis Kelsey leading the team of targets. A lot of the reason for that is because of the way Reed designs that offense. Because defense has to leave a safety over the top to account for Tyreek Hill, so it leaves that open to the open middle of the field with no safety in there, vacant for Kelsey to get those targets. And also, he's an incredible player. But the only real offense that really runs to the tight end schematically is is over there in Las Vegas with Waller. And I just, everything Lynn's shown in his past tells me that this offense is not going to operate through the tight ends. I mean, as low as 13.8% targets in 2018. And that was, you know, their tight end situation in, in San Diego, or I'm sorry, in Los Angeles has never been too much worse than what we're going to see. And, and also the deal with Hawkinson is he was billed as a two-way tight end coming out. He was a top 10 pick for sure. But at the same time, he was, pick there because he was a great blocker as well he wasn't George Kittle coming out who had converted from receiver to tight end at Iowa so I don't know all of a sudden that we can expect TJ Hawkinson to be just this game-breaking receiving first tight end in his mm-hmm. third season after not showing it at
2: all really in the first two seasons I-, I think that's part of the problem is like TJ Hawkinson got a lot of targets last year for a tight end right yeah and he turned 101 targets into 723 yards and that was way more efficient than he was as a rookie. So, I, he doesn't he doesn't have to get top 5 tight targets for a tight end. He he needs to be like up there in the 120-130 range or he has to make a drastic leap in his efficiency in what we think is not a very good offense with not a very good quarterback.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, so um there have not so from 2017 to 2019 they had not, there was not one tight end who got more than 90 targets and finished outside the top 10. All right, well, Top 10's not great, but if you get 90 targets, you're probably going to finish outside the top 10. Until last year when four, four ty, uh, tight ends got 90 or more targets and finished outside the top 10. So that was weird. That's in full PPR. Um, every tight end in the last five seasons who has finished in the top five has been first or second on his team in targets. So that is a big thing, except for Robert Tunyon. He's the only one, and he was only four targets behind, uh, number or three targets behind uh, second place on the Packers last year. But if you lead your team in targets, that is a great start. Okay, yes, he has to play better. He has to be better. But if you lead your team in targets, like I said, I'll repeat that's that. Stat, every top five target in the last every sorry every top five tight end in the last five seasons, except for Robert Tunyon, who had basically basically the luckiest tight end season we've ever seen. Uh, was first or second on his team in targets. So that's a great start right there. And I don't see how he's not going to be first or second on his team in targets. You say the offense isn't going to run through Hawkinson. I would argue that it probably didn't run through him last year, and he still got 101 targets. So I don't know that it needs to run through him, but the bottom line is, I mean, he's going to get the target. He's just going, I think he's going to be targeted. I think he's going to have more targets per game this year than he had last year. I'm not super excited about him for any reason other than volume. I totally get what you're saying in terms of performance, and when I see that Andrews is going equally to Hawkinson, you know a lot of people are going to put Hawkinson ahead of Andrews. Uh, I don't think you guys are, but um, you know he's going behind Pitts now. I think so. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, there's a big difference between him and and the guys behind him. I think
3: you know. But I would ask you this, Adam: if you're drafting a player like Hawkinson. are you really trying to get like the sixth best tight end or are you trying to get a difference maker at that position? Because when you're taking somebody at 65, like Hawkinson, you're passing up on players like Brandon Ayuk, T Higgins, DJ Chark, who can be potential difference makers on your fantasy team. And just because you're finishing in the top six of tight end, unless you're reaching that bar that, you know, the Waller and Kittle on a per game basis and Kelsey put up last year, you're not getting too much of a difference maker at that position. So it's not that important to finish with a tight end six if he's not scoring that many points in my
0: mind. Okay. Agreed. I think that I see a higher ceiling than you do for Hawkinson, obviously. And yeah. while I do, I don't really like Chark, but I I like IU and Higgins in a vacuum much better than I like Hawkinson. If Hawkinson and Andrews are going in, and and you look at ADP, they're like tied in five six, right? I think I think Piss has jumped them at this point.
2: I, I've got it right here, and that's the thing I was gonna say. Yeah. Like Hawkinson is two spots ahead of Mark Andrews. Right. Mark Andrews is sixty four. Hawkinson sixty two. Dallas Goddard is twenty picks behind C.J. Hawkinson.
0: All right. So let me just finish my point. I know I've monopolized this and so I'll let you go. Um, <laughs> H- Higgins and Iuke, right? Like they're better, but, but with Hawkinson and Andrews right there at 63 and 65, basically overall, I view them really as, I know it's not going to play out this way. Cause you, you know, it's just not like, there are going to be some surprises. I view them as the last chance to get a stud at tight end.
2: I don't but view Hopkins, Higgins. We, I don't. don't have a real reason to think
0: Hawkins is a stud. I think he could be a PPR stud because I think really? he could be, you know, third in catches at the position or something I, like that.
2: If is this because Zach Ertz is not gone yet?
0: No, it has nothing to do with Ertz. It has it has more to do with. Her. I I just I don't feel I don't view Goddard the same way now that they have Devonte Smith. But he's been mostly better. He has, Hawkins- but you know what? You can, like if you just did all your fantasy rankings on who was better last year, then then what? What's the point of doing rankings? I'm projecting Hawkinson to take a leap. Well, Hawkinson
2: was better last year. He well, just hasn't been better on a per target or per catch basis. I
0: think he's gonna. I think they're gonna throw a lot more than the Eagles, and I think he's gonna get a lot more targets than Goddard. I think a lot of people do. That's why he's going 20 spots ahead. But anyway, what I was saying is, I don't think that's your last chance with Higgins and Ayuk. Not your last chance to get a star breakout wide receiver. I do think that this is. Your last chance, unless it's God, maybe like Goddard. Whatever for me, the Andrews Hawkinson decision there, the last chance for me to realistically think I have a chance at a at a, a difference maker at tight end.
2: And I I don't agree with Dan as far as the T.J. Hawkinson pick one hundred thing, but I would much rather take Dallas Goddard in round seven or Noah Fant in round eight than T.J. Hawkinson at the five six turn.
3: And he, I think th- that was a bit of. Yeah. An exaggeration by me. Before I agree with you, Heath, I wouldn't go as far as 100. But I will say this: Adam's saying, you know, you're not going to see too much of a drop off at receiver if you miss on those guys. We both, we both think there's a potential high end ceiling for the DJ Chark, Chase Claypool, and uh, Brandon Ayuk's of the world. But as you go into that next round, if you pass on one of those guys for Hawkinson, you're looking at Robbie Anderson type. You're looking at Jerry Judy, who has an unsettled quarterback situation. <laughs> Devonte Smith, another player I feel like has an unsettled quarterback position. Tyler Boyd, who may be third in targets. I think there is a pretty big drop-off there.
0: Okay, but I already, at this point, I probably already have at least two wide receivers, and I still have Brandon Cooks on the board. You don't have any flex. I still have Brandon Cooks on the board. I still have all the rookies on the board. This is obviously a good, well, not all of them, not Chase, but most of the rookies on the board. Um, I don't know. It's always easier to find wide receiver breakouts than... Uh, I'm going to stop myself. Is it? Sometimes those tight end breakouts can sneak up on you. But, all right, whatever. I think we've, we've said our piece there with Hawkinson. Uh, all right, good stuff. Good debate. Good debate. And uh, some more in just a little bit. We got some news and notes. Big time news and notes today, actually. We're also very excited to talk about the draft-a-thon. Our fourth annual draft-a-thon supporting St. Jude will be on September 1st. Last year, we auctioned off fun fantasy football experiences like Zoom calls with our experts, custom Smack talk videos, playing in a league with our experts, um, guest appearances on the podcast. What do you want to see offered this year to incentivize donations to St. Jude? All right? We're trying to raise as much money as we can for St. Jude. So you tell us, what do you want to see auctioned off this year? You can comment on this video on YouTube, youtube.com slash fantasyfootballtoday. You can comment in our Facebook group post, or you can send us an email at fantasyfootball@cbsi.com. Schrager looked like he wanted to jump in there. Yeah, just any way you contact us, no matter what, we are open to ideas. Last year, we had a lot of fun with people playing in the Listener League because of this. People were doing Zoom calls with Heath at 11 p.m. while Heath was drinking a nice beer, and they were drinking a beer, too. Any ideas you have, we're trying to raise $100,000 for St. Jude. So leave a comment, send an email, tweet at us, any way to get in contact. We're going to raise a lot of money this fall, and it's going to be a lot of fun. September 1st, our draft-a-thon be there. We'll obviously give you a lot more details as we get closer. All right, time for the news and notes. Frank Reich said that Jonathan Taylor has earned the right to be the main guy.
2: Heath, is, does that mean anything to you? I I wish I could have been in the room and asked to follow up. What What does the main guy mean to you, Frank? Is that's not because yeah I agree we can we can disregard the five or six touches a game we were giving Jordan Wilkins and maybe not even give those to Marlon Mack, but maybe not, is Naheem Hines going away? Because I kind of that's the key. If Naheem Hines goes away, then Jonathan Taylor might just be RB one this year. But they've always kind of had that guy, and as long as they still have the third down back, it's um, I'm gonna not get any Jonathan Taylor as a top six pick. Where are you guys at on Taylor versus Kelsey? Um,
3: I'm I'm on the Kelsey train, but I'm also big on big on the tight ends here, big on those big two tight ends for me. Heath? And yes, I said two for a reason. He's
0: oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm Kelsey. Kelsey, okay. What about in in half PPR or non PPR?
2: Non PPR is the one place where yeah. I will take Jonathan Taylor as a top five pick.
0: All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, next news item. A.J. Brown still recovering from off-season surgery on both knees. Dan, we knew he had the surgery, but we saw it today he's still, still recovering, not 100% yet. Is this, is this news to you?
3: No, not necessarily. We're too early in that, uh, in the cycle for it to be important news. If he's missing training camp, if he's missing potential preseason time, that's when we start to get worried. But remember AJ Brown played through this injury last year and was still almost as impactful and effective as he was the year before. So the ceiling, I think the sky is only the limit for him. I mean, there is no limit for him. I think this season, I don't think Julio Jones in the mix, taking away defensive coverages and attention. So I'm not worried about it just yet.
0: Uh, Chargers offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi said that Mike Williams will play the X receiver position. So Heath, actually, what is this? Is big news. What does this mean?
2: That was the position that Michael Thomas played in New Orleans, and this offense is, and we expect it to look a lot like the Saints' offense. What he actually said, and I, I gave you the quote so that I didn't have to keep it up on my screen, but basically said he expects <laughs> Mike Williams to fill up the stat sheet. Um, I went in and added an extra percent to Mike Williams' uh, target share. I haven't projected for a career high in targets and not just because it's 17 games. Uh, he's a very interesting dude. I don't think there's any doubt about his talent in terms of catching the ball in traffic, in terms of um, what he can do in in that area. He's kind of struggled maybe to get open, I guess, because he doesn't earn that many targets. But... I. Very interested in him in that wide receiver four range. Uh,
0: but, uh, you, okay, you think this is going to look like the Saints offense? Because is that good for Mike Williams? I, I mean, he's just, he's not Michael Thomas. I know they're going to play the same position, but we don't really think he's going to be running a lot of slants and things it's like that. It's good for
2: Mike Williams if they throw it to him a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Like, that's good for him. <laughs> that is true. That is not something that's ever happened in his career.
0: Um, ESPN report, the Patriots beat rider believes that Damian Harris is New England's number one running back and it's pretty decisive. So yeah, he's he's drafted pretty late, Dan. What do you think about Damian Harris? You there, Dan? We've been we've there been playing
3: fantasy we've been playing fantasy for way too long, I think, to buy into an a, what is it, early, late June, early July type report about how the Patriots are going to split up their backfield touches. I will believe this when I see it. Right now, I'm not, I mean, I still like Damian Harris anyway because I liked him as a prospect. I think he's the best pure runner they have on the roster. But I think there's there's a ceiling there. It's capped. It depends how good the Patriots are because they're going to need the game script to be good for him to be uh, RB1 or even the high-end RB2, like you know some would expect based on that type of report. So, But I'll, I'll, I'll buy the touches thing when I see it first. I moved him ahead of Zach
0: Moss. Oh, that was my next question. Are you going to take him over a Bills running back?
2: Yeah, I would too. But, Heath, who's your highest-ranked Bills running back? Well, my highest-ranked Bills running back is Devin Singletary, and uh, but I don't ever draft him until after I see Zach Moss get drafted because nobody else likes <laughs> Devin Singletary.
0: It's possible the Bills don't because the all Athletics right. beat writer for the Buffalo, right. uh, Joe Biscaglia, believes that, first of all, he thinks that Emmanuel Sanders is more likely than Gabriel Davis to fill John Brown's role – but he also thinks that Zach Moss could take over, um, you know, as the primary, I guess, more more, uh, more of the primary responsibilities, I guess, um, if he continues to improve. And that Jacob Hollister could be the primary tight end if Dawson Knox continues to struggle. So there you go. A blitz of
2: Bill's items from the athletic. I would have liked to ask uh, Joe also. I wish that had been on HQ because I'd like to know, what if Devin Singletary continues to improve? Could he... Earn a majority of the running back touches. I think the implication here is that
0: Zach Moss has a lot to gain. You know, I I think there's a reason why he why this was quoted, and this was cited. Um, I wouldn't like it if I were a Devin Singletary manager.
2: You know, personally. I I just like when it said Devin Zach Moss could take over more responsibility if he continues to improve. That doesn't really sound like news to me. I think a lot of players in the NFL could get more touches if they continue to improve.
0: Okay, I, okay.
2: You know, the tight end note of this was actually pretty interesting to me because the Bills
0: have said since the end of last season that they need more production from their tight ends. And I was even thinking... and, of, and
3: What? I was going to say, and there's more speculation building today, building off of what we've seen all offseason, that Zach Ertz is going to be traded to the Bills at any moment. Now Now we've heard that all offseason, but it makes too much sense yeah. for it not to happen. That would be pretty interesting.
0: All right, we'll sit tight and wait and see if that happens. Saturday is a big day on CBS. It is Superstar Saturday night, holiday style, at one of the most famous tracks in America, Lucas Oil Raceway in Indianapolis. Tony Stewart faces stiff competition from some of the top drivers in the world as he goes for his third straight win. Get ready for some fireworks this Independence Day weekend with the Camping World SRX Series, Saturday at 8 Eastern on CBS. All right. Players to avoid. Back to the topic du jour. Heath, your quarterback on this list is Josh Allen. You already Mm -hmm. gave us James Robinson, but you're saying Josh Allen. But frame it. Give us a little context there.
2: Well, can we please not put Josh Allen's name in the tweet when we send this podcast out? I do not need any more Twitter replies from Bill's Mafia. Uh, (laughs) Listen, I like Josh Allen. He made a massive leap last year. He's good. He's currently going at the 3-4 turn around ahead of Lamar Jackson, who I would rather have well ahead of Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson. And I don't think there's really that much difference in terms of upside and floor. Um, What we've seen the past couple of years is when we've had these quarterbacks with the breakout performances the next year, there's usually a little bit of a drawing back. That's what I anticipate with Josh Allen as well. And so I'm just not willing, like, I think there's one quarterback and I've made this pretty clear. There's one quarterback who's worth investing a third round, maybe even late second round pick in fantasy. And that's Patrick Mahomes. And the reason is that over the last three years, he's been basically three or four points better per game than any other quarterback over that stretch of games. Josh Allen did it for 16 games, and that could lead to something in the future, but he's being drafted right now as if the quarterback we saw last year is either the new reality or a stepping stone to some other future greatnesses, which is what I've heard a lot as well. And it's more likely that Josh Allen's going to take a little bit of a step back this year. He could still be awesome, and that could be the case.
0: Okay, I want to release the Twitter poll results of this question: Who do you prefer in a six-point per passing touchdown league? Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray. Uh, I just posted it's only five hundred and seventy-three votes. So right now, Josh Allen has forty-one percent of the vote. Second place is Dak Prescott at thirty-eight percent of the vote. Kyler Murray fourteen and a half, and Lamar Jackson. Look. these results, 6.6%. Uh, these are shocking to me. Even in six-point-per-passing touchdown leagues where Josh Allen and Dak Prescott are crushing Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson.
2: And again, it's just it's people believe that Lamar Jackson got exposed last year, but because Josh Allen's best year was last year, that his best year is more important than Lamar Jackson's, which was two years ago. And right. that's just not the way that I process mm-hmm. information. And that's not the way that things generally work. Occ- occasionally it does, but that's not the way things generally work. Not to mention when Jackson came back from
3: COVID, he was close to back to himself. Yeah, he was terrific. very close.
2: So
0: I, I, I brought up Dak Prescott, Dan, because that's the quarterback on your list. Your void list of uh, is Dak Prescott. So what's your thought there?
3: So my thought with Dak Prescott is this. When he comes... He's back now. He's a different player than what he was for the Cowboys before this season because he now has this massive contract and he becomes a completely different asset for them. And part of what what made Dak so special as a fantasy contributor in his, you know, first four seasons or five five seasons before this contract was that he had 21. So before last season, he had 21 rushing TDs through his first four seasons. Then he had three in just five games in 2020. So 24 in four and a quarter season. And a lot of those touchdowns were not long break, long breaking runs like sometimes you see from Allen and a lot of times you see from Lamar Jackson. They were zone read options in the red zone where they actively use Zach Prescott. I'm sorry, Dak Prescott. Scott as a runner there. And I just don't know that that's going to continue for the Cowboys moving forward. Not they invested this also a big factor in what made him such a special fantasy quarterback was game script and pace. And the Cowboys had the best pay, uh, the number one, they called the most offensive plays. They had the best offensive pace, sorry, last season in 2020. And not only that, they had one of the worst defenses in the NFL this year. They used their entire draft class, 10 plus picks on the defensive side of the ball. They've been an excellent in my mind to go from Mike Nolan's defensive system to Dan Quinn who I think maybe not be the may not be the best coach head coach but he's a great defensive coordinator and if that defense takes a solid sized leap the you know the game script is going to look a lot different for Dak even in his first few seasons he threw for 3600 yards 3300 yards and 3800 yards In 2019 when the Cowboys defense collapsed and they had their first non-winning season in his career no, they didn't collapse. he threw for 4900 yards so if that game script- for so the Cowboys? Yeah,
0: they were like they were middle of the pack in defense that year. They were By in twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen.
3: Yeah. Okay, the full, collapse, the full collapse. Was last the full
0: collapse year, though, was last year.
3: When he was gone, they, they were 11th, they were eleventh.
0: They were eleventh in scoring defense in twenty nineteen. I'll double check on that uh, just to make sure that's okay. right because that is a pretty big. Point here. Um, I don't see how they could possibly be eleventh in scoring defense this year. They were almost last. Like, they were terrible last year. In addition, to having bad personnel, they got super injured, especially in the middle of their defense. So I get it. All those things, and and the game scripts. I get like they play the Rams in week one, and then the next three games were against bad defenses in high scoring shootouts. Right. So it was perfect for Dak. Absolutely. Um, but Just, uh, yeah, but a lot of interesting points there. For well, I, I think. But if he becomes
3: like a, if he becomes a full. Oh sorry go ahead Keith. Heath.
2: No it's it's that like your explanation of the defense I generally explain that same jump with Kellen Moore. Um that that he was the 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 force behind the change in the offense and the running more plays and the going more pass heavy and we don't necessarily know cuz both of those things did kind of happen in with each other. As far as the rushing touchdowns it, it's again it's it's interesting he has scored at a pretty similar rate to Josh Allen on a per rush attempt basis. Now Allen runs a lot more, but on a per attempt basis, it hasn't really been that much different, but I guess Allen hasn't got the contract yet. I just, yeah. And he's got, not coming off the major injury as well. Right. Yeah. Um, I just think that Dax weapons are so good and Kellen Moore has been so good for him it's hard for me to see him taking like him. I, I don't i agree with you guys completely we sh- i it's almost as if he was so good last year in those first 5 games that that gets used as a talking point about how he can't be that good True. we don't have to look at those games at all we can just look at 2019 mm-hmm. and he like he just has to be that good so
0: Two things, yeah. They were only they were eleventh in scoring defense in 2019 when Prescott was the number two quarterback in fantasy. But they were not a good defense. They were 24th in yards allowed. Now, what really matters is the points, right? Were they chasing the points? They were eleventh, but but we know that like they did not have a good defense. And it's not going to be good this year. It's going to be better than last year, but I can't imagine even with all those rookies, you know, I, I can't project them to have a good defense. I don't think anybody would project them to have a good defense. Um, but let me. What does this mean to you? In 2000, and you could probably make this stat for for like every quarterback, but his 2019 fantasy point total made him QB2. He would have been QB9 in 2020. Does that mean anything to you with that fantasy point total?
3: Last year was insane. Actually, Chris just did an excellent job, Chris just did an excellent job breaking this down in the FFT newsletter. For those of you who are listening and haven't signed up, go ahead and sign up for that. I think it's an excellent newsletter and it delivers some actionable advice in every single one. Shameless plug there. But what he said was basically you don't want to chase – one-year trends and if you look back at it yes in 2020 there was the trend of the high-end quarterback that was worth paying up for but this goes into my point as to why I don't want to take Dak Prescott at 47 overall ADP when I can get somebody like Tom Brady at 74th overall ADP who I probably still wouldn't take but if Prescott stops running it kind of they'd seem like very similar fantasy assets to me and the point is that you know in the past Using 2020 to base our 2021 strategy isn't an excellent play because the drop-off at quarterback hasn't been steep, which is why in, in past years, which is why, of course, people advised for the late-round quarterback strategy and, to, and these are all, of course, for one-quarterback leagues. Obviously, we wouldn't have the same advice in leagues where you need to start two quarterbacks, but in leagues where only 12 of the 32 are starting each week it just seems like you're chasing last year's trend and a little, it's a little, it's kind of what goes back to what Heath was saying. Are we going to look at just the one year sample size? or Are we going to look at the larger sample size and the larger sample size suggests that you're that. Yeah. The, the difference at the quarterbacks at the top of the tier is, not going to be that great.
0: Yeah. But if Prescott's toward the end of that tier
3: and he he's was still going to top 50 pick,
0: he's 50th by 40. Oh no. He's, yeah, he's 48th. Um, all right. So you just don't want anyone that early. You're saying
3: if I'm going to take a quarterback that early, I have to be sure that he's going to be able to provide me rushing stats as well. And I'm just not sure of that with Prescott right now okay. or be Patrick. Mahomes. That's fair.
0: Fair enough. Okay. Then let's take a look at some more players. Fair enough is the Adamazer drinking game, by the way. Uh, so <laughs> I've been uh, pretty hammered right now. Uh, let's go to tight ends. We had Hawkinson for Dan and Kyle Pitts for Heath. Okay. So, Pitts is now tied in four,
2: Heath? Yeah. He is tied in four at pick 52, 10 picks ahead of TJ Hawkinson and 12 picks ahead of Mark Andrews, 30 picks ahead of Dallas Goddard and 40 picks ahead of Noah Fant.
0: Wait, what was it, 52? 52
2: overall?
0: Okay. overall. I was just looking. That's since June 1st. I was looking since June 15th. He's 51. Because I just had this feeling that he's just going to keep You know, skyrocketing up, but I was just holding steady 51
2: 52. Yeah, I just like, and this is one that's uncomfortable because I love Kyle Pitts. I got I got as much of him as I could in rookie drafts because I was afraid this was going to happen in redraft. But you are drafting Kyle Pitts to be the greatest rookie tight end ever. And if he's that, then yes, he will justify his ADP. Um, he has to be better than that to get earn you a profit at his ADP, and that's just not. I like there are certain players where like I understand the talent or like Derrick Henry's been at the last two years. He's broken a lot of our unwritten rules of fantasy, but I don't think you you make a profit very often in fantasy drafting a guy where he has to do that. Mm.
0: Okay, I think that's pretty well said. So when would you take him? And do you have him ranked ahead of Hawkinson or Andrews?
2: No, no. Um, in in non-PPR, I might actually have him ahead of Hawkinson in, in full PPR. Uh, no, I've got him sixth in non and eighth in full PPR. Um, I would not take him until round seven. Ooh. So right. I'm not going to go. No, <laughs> no but, pits for you. Again, like This is how ridiculous it's gotten. I'm saying I won't take the rookie tight end until round seven, and it's like, whoa, that's a hot take. It is <laughs> like, high. It is, yeah. It's still a rookie tight end. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, here's the Twitter poll. Who do you like in PPR? Hawkinson, Pitts, or Andrews? Schrager, got the, uh, got the results. Ready? Ready to find it? Yeah, I'll let's wait. pull them up. I'll wait for the video. Who do you like in PPR? Hawkinson, Pitts, or Andrews? Who do you think's winning? I would assume Pitts. Dan, you want to make Three, a guess? there?
3: two... It's Pitts for me, for sure. Oh, you're going pits. Okay. Yeah, there it is. It's pits. To be, to be, to be a little contrarian.
0: I uh, see so you. Contrarian. Oh, do you mind him 40, uh, 50 second overall? He's got 40% I of the vote here.
3: Yeah, not contrarian. I guess not contrarian consensus, but to go against Heath's argument. I think Heath made an excellent point there. I mean, his his argument was incredibly logically sound. You're making a bad bet but I'm willing to bet on Pitts being an outlier, and this goes a lot into, I did prospect uh, profiles for CBS Sports during the draft season, and he's one of the best prospects I've evaluated in the last 10 years, and it's not just his ability as a tight end when he's lined up in line or when he's detached a bit from the formation. Florida, at Florida, he was the entire offense there. He was the focal point of every passing play, and they would detach him from the formation and line him up against corners, including J.C. Horn, who was selected in the top 10, and uh, Patrick Sertan at Alabama who was selected just in the top 10 as well and he would beat them in one-on-one coverage he has abilities that are very different from any tight end that has ever played the position in my opinion he profiles to me more like Calvin Johnson as a, than anyone else I've seen than any tight end I could compare him to I guess I would say and so I think this offense will potentially run through both him and Ridley I think they're going to be behind in a lot of games again Atlanta throwing the football a lot and to me I'm, I'm willing to bet on the outlier because the upside to Pitts to me at 50 when you consider the positional advantage you can get at tight end and what Darren Waller, for example, gave us. And I believe Waller was drafted a little ahead of this range last year, but not too far ahead. And the advantage he gave you from the season he had at tight end versus all the other trash that most people were putting in their starting lineups at the position is worth the gamble to me versus like, versus some of the guys being selected there, like Kareem Hunt, DJ worth people that I don't think are going to be game changers potentially in that range.
2: So you think that like, as a rookie, Kyle Pitts has more upside than, what Mark, than Mark Andrews?
3: I do think that, honestly. I, I feel like he's a completely different prospect than Mark Andrews. I think he's better beating man coverage. I think he's, he's uh, better in contested catch situations. I just really love him as a prospect.
0: Okay, we're going to take a break here. We've got some running backs and wide receivers to talk about on the avoid list. We'll be right back on Fantasy Football today. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived.
1: Welcome back.
0: Okay, let's get some running backs and wide receivers. Let's go to Dan. He's got Miles Sanders and Josh Jacobs. They're going within six picks of each other right now, according to NFC ADP. Sanders, 35th, and Jacobs, 41st. So tell me why you are not taking Miles Sanders at
1: 35.
3: Yeah, we'll start with Sanders. These guys both fit into that dead zone, that running back dead zone that I like to always avoid. I know Ben Kretsch kind of termed, uh kind of termed it the dead zone. I think it's a good a good a good term for what it is and when you're in that range after the second round in that third through fifth round range when you could be getting these stud receivers potentially these stud tight end or quarterback you're taking these players at running back because you need to fill the position but miles sanders what can we count on for him in 2021 first of all nick Sirianni coming over. As, uh, as the head coach means that he may not be used anymore in a workhorse role. We've seen the type of uh, split he's had with his running backs over in Indianapolis. And the Eagles already this offseason have hinted that they won't rely on Sanders as the workhorse. And this is just one year after Deuce Staley, who's no longer coaching with the team, said he would be the workhorse. And if you look at that and you consider the fact that the volume may not be there, you then move on to Sanders as a prospect. And he's really been a middling player in the NFL. He's had, a, last year he was the 18th, he had the 18th best elusionment Rating and in my mind, it's the best uh, advanced stat to use to kind of determine how effective a running back is is independent of everything else around him because it combines force missed tackles and yards after contact. He also has an aging offensive line that's dealt with reoccurring injuries to some of its best players. And the big thing for me here is that I just don't trust Jalen Hurts yet because from what I've seen from the from the little film that he has out there, he had a really tough time operating from when, within the structure of the offense Hurts. He bailed from the pockets too early. He didn't keep that passing game on time and it led to a lot of punts for the Eagles. So if that offense isn't great, with an aging offensive line and a potential non-workhorse role and a prospect who, and a player in Miles Sanders who hasn't been that great on his own in the NFL. At 35 overall, that team was incredibly rich.
2: Hmm.
0: All right, Heath, what's your reaction to that?
2: <laughs> Dan, you got some hot takes. I like
0: it. I like it. Yeah. some strong takes, I,
2: man. This is right about where I have Sanders. I don't know that I – like. I don't get particularly excited a, coming hot. a lot. A lot of what he's saying is what I said about Miles Sanders when we were taking him at the 1-2 turn last year. It's a little bit different at the 3-4 turn. I was the guy when Ben Gretsch was uh, formulating the uh, dead zone last year. We had a lot of long, long, long discussions about that. And generally speaking, from what we uh, discussed, the guys who do break out of that dead zone, because there are some every year, are the younger running backs. Right. Um, it's it's more of a dead zone, it seems, for the 26, 27, 28-year-old running backs, and it is for guys that are 23. I don't have quite as many concerns about Jalen Hurts, and one thing that running quarterbacks generally do is open up more holes for their running backs. So I think, well, I don't expect Sanders to be a workhorse. You don't get workhorse running backs at the end of round three or the start of round four. They yeah. go in round one and
0: round two. It's true, yeah. So then, then people might say, "Well, then just don't draft any." But um, that's yeah, my but, thing. But I, I, I don't. I think it's a little bit too rigid of a take because Sanders and Jacobs both have big upside. I mean, they. I think they've proven that. If you think the situations have changed so much, and I think the argument's more to make there for Jacobs. Uh, because of the Kenyan Drake edition, then I I can understand that. But I really don't want to hold too much against Sanders from last year. The Eagles were a mess. Their offensive line was awful. I mean, awful. And, you know, you talked about, Dan, how Jalen Hurts bailed from the pocket too early. I I have watched a lot of Jalen Hurts, uh, the four starts that he made. And... Maybe there was some of that, but he was really running for his life so much. It was just an awful offensive line. And not only that, if they stay healthy, they could have a a good-to-great offensive line. I mean, they really could have a high-performing one. And that could make a huge difference here. So I would love to see Miles Sanders fall to the fourth round. He's almost there. He's 35th. He's almost there. So, um, you know, we'll get there. Uh, Hopefully. And And I'll take The
2: Kenyon-Drake thing, because you said it, and Dan's going to give his... uh... His anti Josh Jacobs take in just a minute, but you said that he has a lot. Josh Jacobs has a lot more competition because of Kenyon Drake. That's basically Kenyon what Drake I Kenyon yeah. Drake spent four years as a backup running back, got a chance to be the starter in Arizona, got one year, and then had to sign a deal as a backup again.
0: Who is taking Kenyon carries Drake, away from Miles Sanders, though? Kenyon Drake,
3: who's going? It's not to about the carries, though. Carry on, Johnson. No,
2: it's not about the not. carry.
3: That's not the issue for me, Adam. The, the carries are not the issue for me with Sanders. Carries are not worth that much in fantasy anymore. If you're playing in 0.5 PPR leagues or full-point PPR they are, season, they are. They are if they're near the goal line. And they are if they're near the goal line, and they are if you're on a team that's winning a lot of football games, which I don't think the Eagles will be. And they are on a team that has a – if you have a really good offense, which I don't think the Eagles will be with Jalen Hurts. They this.
2: get to play in the NFC East.
3: That is a nice – that is a nice – Nobody wants to lot of games has improved, and so has the Redskins.
2: But and then the, the other assumption that Kenyon Drake's just going to take all of the running back targets away from Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake has one season in the NFL where he's been above average as a pass catcher.
0: But I didn't make that sh- assumption first of all, but I think that Kenyon Drake is stiffer competition no, need- to Josh Jacobs, who by the way only had thirty three catches in fifteen games last year.
2: He I he had think a better exactly. pass catching running back. I think he was sharing
0: with. I think well they only had they had uh, sixty nine catches among their top three running backs last year their last three seasons under John Gruden a hundred and one catches for their top three running backs ninety two and then sixty nine so hopefully that goes back has, up.
2: Has Josh Jacobs been worth a fourth round pick in that in that environment?
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I, th- I think he's fine in the fourth round. <laughs> I do. Uh, last year he couldn't have been. He was a top 12 running back. He he was he was top 8 running back and I think it was a little deceiving because he was so inconsistent. So inconsistent, but he did score 12 those, touchdowns. Those
3: end of season
2: What well, but he had 13? Yeah, those end of yards season yards,
0: numbers
3: are
0: not. No, look, he was a top 8 running season. back. Per game he was 13th in PPR, 10th in non-PPR. He you could say that based on that he was worth a first round pick. I would say no because he didn't because after week 1 he scored 3 touchdowns in week 1. After week 1 he really had just a few big games and a lot of crap. Um, you like more consistency. But he definitely was worth a fourth-round pick. But I'll let you, Dan, he's on your list. So you make the pick. You make the case. 41st for Josh Jacobs. Um, the first two running backs selected in the 2018, 19 draft, sorry, Miles Sanders and Josh Jacobs, uh, both on your list here. 41st for him. So you think that's, that's too rich for your blood to borrow a poker ter- uh, term, and I beat you in poker last
3: night. So go ahead. You did beat me in poker, Adam, but I will be getting my revenge at some point. But I will say this about Josh Jacobs. One of the reasons I don't like him is because of the change in Derek Carr's play as a quarterback. As you mentioned last year, what was it, 69 targets to running backs? Jacobs had just 33 in 15 games. No, Derek no, Carr's ca- made a big game. catches. I'm sorry, go so, ahead.
0: 69 catches. Um, and that was the top three running backs. So there were probably a few more, it was probably a little over 70.
3: Yeah. Sure. And by the way, those players are still on the roster currently, both Theoretic and Jalen Rashard are currently still on the roster and I'm not sh- sure they're going the way, but Derek Carr's made a big change to his name. He's throwing downfield a lot more often. It's a total, it's a total different change to who he is as a quarterback. And so if that's the case and you're buying into an offense that we don't think is going to be that good, one that lost arguably one of their best offensive linemen and and instead replaced him by one of the biggest reaches in the draft, according to most people, including myself and Alex Leatherwood, who was a better guard than a tackle at Alabama, but also played his entire career on the left side and is now being asked to move to right tackle, which is not an easy transition. I think will also make things uh, tough for Panay Sewell over in Detroit. But besides that, It's an aging offensive line. They've already lost Rodney Hudson there as well. They were also 23rd in offensive play pace and neutral situations last year and just 24th when trailing by seven points or more. This is a really slow offense as well. And so factoring in all those things and the potential for him to be off the field on passing downs, I just don't really see the upside except for the games when they're ahead. And I'm not so sure how many, like Josh Jacobs got off to a bang last year, right? He had 25 carries in his first game, 27 in his second one. The Raiders won both of those games. But if you look at all the games where the Raiders were trailing by a lot and they were way behind against Atlanta, when they got blown out, he saw 10 total touches, uh, another game where they got blown out, I believe it was Indianapolis. He had 16 total touches. So I just don't know what you're, what you're hoping is the upside there. If the, if the Raiders offense is going to be slow, not so good. He's not going to be on the field in passing downs when Drake is there. And even so, even if you had this in this little wrinkle, Drake was decently effective in the red zone for Arizona last year. So are we sure he's not going to siphon some carries there? Uh, and then the final thing for me is just he hasn't been as good as he's been projected as a prospect. I know he was drafted high, but like I said, I like to use elusive rating, and that that showed that Miles Sanders was middling. Jacobs was really bad elusive rating-wise last year. What, he was about, what about 2018?
0: What about 2019, though?
3: Is in he, 2019, I can pull that up yeah, right now, but last year he was behind guys like uh, Brian Hill and James Conner. And if you look at just 2019, let nineteen, let's take a look at that one. Oh, you're um,
2: looking that up the Atlanta game where he had yeah. 10 touches. I believe he left that due to injury. He didn't play the next week. Okay.
3: Okay. That's a good recall on that. I did not, I didn't remember that one, but you're right, Adam in, in 2019, he was the second, best. he had the second best elusive rating. So yeah. He was definitely a better player then than he was now, but I don't know. I just, that's the, th- that's the final factor. The other ones are more important to me. I just don't see the upside for volume. I don't love that offense at all. And if he's not, if he doesn't have a lot of volume or scoring opportunities, I don't really see or a role in the in the passing game, I don't really see the upside there. So you
2: you think a big Kenyon Drake's going to take a lot more touches than Booker and Richard Jalen Rashard did last year?
3: I think all three of them are going to get a decent share of touches, and just overall it's going to be more than what they had last year without them, without Drake, I should say.
0: I think they will, Heath, because when Josh Jacobs was healthy, those guys were getting something like, well, Jacobs was getting 18 carries a game, and those guys were getting something like six carries a game. Uh, when now you look at the overall season numbers, a lot of that might be the one, the games that Jacobs missed, but you have to look at just when Jacobs was healthy. So I do think Drake has more of a right. role than Rashard had. Um, I think it's probably going to come down to touchdowns. If Drake starts taking touchdowns away, that's going to be a problem. If he doesn't, then I think Jacobs going to be perfectly fine around four. And,
2: and I wouldn't ever underestimate the ability of John Gruden to make poor decisions, but it's really, yes. a, really a stretch to look at Kenyon Drake's pedigree and his career and Josh Jacobs' pedigree and his career and think, I need to give the ball to Kenyon Drake more and sit Josh Jacobs down more.
0: Well, but they think, you know, the theory is that he hasn't been able to hold up. And that was a problem with him in college, too. So I think they're trying to, you know, maybe mm-hmm. the theory, they're trying to keep him fresher and give him a better yeah, he was never a workhorse
3: back. at Alabama. He never had that right. role. You're right. And he did play yeah, 15 that's another games. Major
0: red flag. He played 15 games. He he did, but he left one early. You know, he missed one. But he played 13 games as a rookie. And, you know, is he banged up? Does he, is he on the injury report a lot? I think that they want to keep him fresher. Maybe that's a theory. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, we're going to do one more here. We're going to leave some for fantasy football today in five. If you're listening to this show and you want to hear the George Kittle argument, because we got to hear that, and you want to hear the Odell Beckham argument, because you got to hear that, that's on FFT in five. We're going to end this show with Michael Carter. Heath, Michael Carter, 81st overall, but you're still—you're just not that into him at 81st overall.
2: I am just not that— And. In- 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 like you compare him. I did a Twitter poll earlier with Damian Harris and Trey Sermon and Michael Carter asking who people preferred because he's been drafted in the same range as those guys. I think Michael Carter's a part-time running back on what's probably a bad team. And I'm just not into that. It really just, like, I don't know what, I don't think there's a scenario, a lot of these part-time backs that you can take in the round six, round seven range, you can say, man, if there's an injury, that guy might be a 15 to 20 touch per game guy. I don't think Michael Carter turns into a 15 to 20 touch per game guy in, in any reality. And so, and I don't think there's like a particular high efficiency upside with him in this particular offense. Now, I'm not, necessarily saying that I think he's going to be a bad running back. I just don't think he's a difference-making running back, and this is a bad situation. Why
0: Why and don't you think he could get those touches, though? Why don't you think they could say, alright, Tevin Coleman, you're out of here. The Michael P. Ryan, like, let's just let Michael Carter be the main guy. Well,
2: he's going to a coaching staff that came from San Francisco, where they always had a two-back system. And he was always in a two back system in college. He was, again, talk about Josh Jacobs. He was much less of a feature back than Josh Jacobs was. So his coaching staff's history and his player and the player history is why. Okay.
3: Yeah, Heath nailed it. Everybody's downgrading Trey Sermon for this exact reason that he's in this Kyle Shannon offense to the Kyle Shanahan offense with the Jets. And so why do we assume they're going to have a lead back, especially someone like he said, who never had that role in college when Javante Williams was alongside him?
0: Yeah, I think personally, I think that good coordinators adapt to their personnel. And I also think that it was pretty obvious that the first four games of the season or the ones that Mostert played. he Mostert, they recognized that he was their best back and they treated him as such. Um, I can tell you, You know, I I can go through the numbers. You probably look at the numbers and say, oh, no, that's not true. But I could definitely make a case that Raheem Mostert was as close to workhorse, workhorse, excuse me, as you're going to get. He wasn't involved in the passing game, but they treated him like the alpha running back. uh, And then he broke down. Um, You know, I can remember Adam Gase, who's obviously awful, but having a reputation of being this quarterback whisperer. And then he said, well, Jay Ajayi is basically my best player. I have to get Jay. We didn't think Jay Ajayi would get the carries with the Dolphins because Adam Gase had this reputation. But I just think that if you're a good coordinator, if you're a good coach, you adapt to your personnel. Uh, so well, if if Carter – I just think that the other running backs stink. That's, I just think they stink. Well,
2: he's also a day three running back.
0: He is, but he was, what, the fourth, the fifth one drafted? And he was barely drafted after Trey Sermon. So I'm not going to you know, put Sermon on another level because they were pretty close to each other.
2: Right, Sermon Carter was a better
3: prospect.
0: I think Carter has the passing game opportunities that Sermon won't, you know.
3: But will that system ever be a system that utilizes the running back in the passing game because it hasn't been typically with San Francisco? Well, San Francisco drafted Trey Sermon. The Jets drafted Michael
0: Carter. Why would you draft Michael Carter if you're just going to try to be San Francisco?
3: You know? Because I think I think they felt like he's a really good fit for that wide zone blocking scheme. He's a one-cut and go runner. And I think that's similar to why the 49ers drafted Sermon, by the way. But I don't know if it was because they, they envisioned his role in the passing game as much as they just envisioned his role in that wide zone blocking scheme.
0: Okay. just uh, All right. 81st overall and um, other running backs going in that range include – Where are, are you, you Mike Carter? Uh, Trey Sermon, Ronald Jones, Raheem Mostert, See where Damian Harris is going. Damian Harris is a hundred,
2: hundredth and first. And I would take every name you've said so far. I think over Michael Carter.
0: How is we Leonard can- Fournette going this late? Feels like I'm. Not, I, I'm fine with that. I just feel like most people are G- taking the Geo
3: signing.
0: The Geo signing, yeah. I don't know. I just feel like he goes earlier in our no. drafts. All right, that's it for today's show. Great stuff again from Dan Schneier. Tomorrow, we've got another top five list for you on Fantasy Football Today. Right now, if you're done with this episode, come on over to Fantasy Football Today in five. Subscribe to that podcast. It's only five extra minutes, and we're going to talk about George Kittle, and we're going to talk about Odell Beckham. But for now, uh, I'm saying goodbye on the Fantasy Football Today podcast. And again, thanks to Dan, Heath, and Ben. I'm Adam. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
1: Okay.